You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? How's everybody feeling? Tired. Just say, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. Hey, last uh, service we had a baptism, and we want to celebrate every life changed for Jesus. So can we give it up? Even though you didn't get to see it, it happened. I promise you. And uh, if you haven't noticed, we actually have a new baptistry platform over here, uh, made way by Brad Costin and uh, one of our rooted groups. And so can we just give it up for the guys that volunteer to do this? Yep. For those of you that aren't uh, sure what a rooted group is, it's the best way to get connected into group life here at Trace. Uh, We've got a new one that'll be kicking off here in a few weeks. You'll hear more about that. We want everyone to go through this. You're going to be hearing stories in the weeks to come about people that are currently in it. It's a 10-week uh, experience with other people just to get more rooted in who Jesus is. And so, man, we want every one of you to be able to uh, just have the opportunity to go through that. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, well, let me pause really quick and just say welcome. My name's Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest with us today, met several guests, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this. What we do on Sunday morning is just a small part about, uh, of what we do, but it's a very important part of what we do. What, this gathering was literally God's idea. He wanted us to gather together. And so when we do, we want to do so in the name of Jesus, and we want to look, uh, learn what it looks like to grow closer in our walk with him, which is what we're doing in this series called Money Talks. Last week, we kicked this series off, and we began with kind of a simple posture of like, why? God, why did you feel it necessary to have over 2,300 verses on the subject of money in the Bible? Like, why did Jesus use 11 of his 40 parables to highlight the subject of money. Why did Jesus talk about it more than heaven and hell combined, faith and prayer combined? And so we just kind of came to the table. We came to this conversation with that simple question, like why? And ultimately what we figured out and what we learned is that money will be the biggest competitor, is the biggest competitor for our heart. But can we kind of just pause here and maybe state the obvious? Isn't it weird sometimes just to talk about money in church? Like, don't you feel weird? In other words, when I mentioned, and I told you a few weeks ago, it's like, hey, we're going to be doing a series called Money Talks. Like, did anybody go like, I need to go tell my friends to get to church when we start this series? Like, I don't, I don't think that happened. And it's because we all just feel a little bit weird when it comes to the subject of talking about money in church. And here's what I need to tell you. Regardless of how cliche it is, we also need to remember how critical it is. And just so you know this, we're going to preach um, we're going to preach a ser- sermon series on money every single time, but here's what you need to know. It doesn't mean I'm just going to tell you to give to the church. <clears throat> Received a f- several emails and text messages last week where it's like, hey, I don't think I've ever heard a preacher preach a sermon on money and didn't ask them to give to the church. And just so we're clear, yeah, we'll talk about giving. We'll talk about being faithful in your giving here. Um, but when we talk about money, like that's, I promise you, that, that's just a part of it. There's another big, big part of the conversation that should revolve around money when it comes to, like, what are we devoting our lives to? What, what owns our heart? Who owns our heart? And so a question, really, I've wanted all of you to wrestle with throughout this series is this. Will money win the battle over our hearts? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you get to stay on the periphery here. Because if Jesus has no authority in your life, the last thing that I want to do is get up here and tell you to do something that you really don't want to do. But if you are a Christ follower, then we need to make sure that we're taking this subject seriously because God took this and takes this subject very seriously. Jesus thought it was an important and a critical aspect of our life, and we need to care about the things that Jesus 
cared about. But with that said, let me also pose this. If someone were to ask me, uh, Aaron, what subject do you think that people are the quickest to disregard when it comes to the Christian walk? I would say it's the subject of money, what God has to teach about the subject of money. I think that's the quickest thing that we have a tendency to disregard. Like, don't tell me what to do with my money. Interesting enough, if you go back and look through the New Testament and you look at the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles, you're going to see two major areas of focus that they warn us against more than any other subjects, by far above any other subjects. And it's the subject, subjects, of money and sex. And if you were to tell me in my almost 15 years of being in full-time ministry, uh, Aaron, where would you say you've seen the most pain in people's life? Where would you say that you see the most, um, the, the areas that people are the quickest to disregard what God taught on? I would say it's the areas of sex and money. Think about that as followers of Jesus. Listen to me. We are disregarding, sometimes dismissing, the subject that Jesus regarded as the greatest area of threat to our lives. The Bible actually has something to say about that. They call those kind of people foolish. And none of us want this to represent any area of our life, do we? I mean, none of us, regardless of his money, if it's sex, if it's something else, I mean, do any of us want to be titled? or labeled by the title of being foolish in any area of our life? I don't think so. And so we want to come back and we want to look at this and we want to make sure that we're pursuing God's word on the subject of money because it will always lead us to wisdom. Before we get into the new content that I'm going to share with us today, let me just take a moment and recap for us kind of where we were at last week and some of the things that we talked about. Last week we talked about how the things that are in our hands, everything that we have in our possession, whether it's actual possessions or if it's money, it first had to go through God's hands. In other words, the only reason you have what you have today is because God allowed you to have it. And throughout the Bible, God warns us on how we handle our wealth because it has the greatest potential to hijack our hearts. And we also looked at something that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to use it again today, so let me revisit it with you. It's Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And for what it's worth, this is the only time throughout the Bible that we either see God or Jesus put two things side by side and says, you're going to have to choose on this one. In other words, you don't get to sit in the middle on this one. You're going to have to choose. Either money's going to own your heart, or I am. You're going to have to choose on this one. And then we looked at the parable of the shrewd manager. And we learned that there's some things that God just simply will not do for us if he doesn't have our heart. And the greatest litmus test on whether or not he has our heart is how we handle the things that we already have, whether possessions or money. And so what we determined is we can either go through life like this, which a lot of people do. We can go through life like this and say, don't tell me. God, don't tell me what to do with my stuff. Preacher, don't tell me. Bible, don't tell me what to do with my stuff. I've earned this. Or we can go through life the way that God wants us to, and that is like this. And we came back to this statement over and over, and it was our takeaway. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do with your stuff? Now, for our time today, uh, we're going to look at another aspect of money in our lives. And 
I believe the thing that we're going to look at today is an area that we also disregard. Yeah, it's going to be on, on money, but it's going to be a specific aspect to money. And I believe when you hear what we're going to talk about today, like you may quickly think, you know what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't struggle with that. But I want to suggest to you today that when it comes to the subject of greed, which is what we're going to talk about, all of us, all of us struggle probably more than we think. A simple definition of greed is this right here. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more. Everybody say more. That's going to be an important word for us today. For more of something such as money than is needed. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something such as money than is needed. You see, greed isn't always as obvious as you think it is. Greed often begins with just wanting just a little bit more. I don't, I don't need a lot. I just need, I just need a little bit more. But listen to me, if we already have enough, if you already have enough, then what does it mean to want a little bit more? Could it be beginning, at least beginning, could it be the beginning stages of starting to flirt with greed in our life? And generally speaking, I think that's where most of us are. I think when it comes to this subject, most of us are here. Most of us would say, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't struggle with greed. I just want just a little bit more. And so I think that could also be subjective, right? What does a little bit more look like for you? Well, there was a survey done several years ago, and it was a survey done in America, and they asked people who were making around $25,000 a year, they said, hey, uh, like, what would, what would be enough for you? Like, how much is enough? And based on all the answers, they kind of narrowed it down to the common denominator, and it was $54,000. If, if they're making $25,000, hey, if I was making $54,000 a year, that would be enough. And then they asked people who were making $100,000 a year, hey, how much would be enough for you? Like, how much is enough? What's a little bit more look like to you? And the average answer narrowed down to $196,000 a year. <laughs> so I guess a little bit more for the average American is twice as much as what you already have. Let me show you something else. There's something called the global rich list. And if you go to the global rich list, you can look this up online later, you will determine that if you make $32,400 as a family, as a household, if you make this much every year, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. You know what that means? We're rich. Like, we're rich. Now, we may think we're rich, right? We think of rich people as, you know, professional athletes or Donald Trump or, you know, actors. I don't know who you think of when you think of rich people. But if this defines you and your household... You are in the top, think about this, the top 1% of the richest people in the world. And you know why that is important? When Jesus talks, or the apostles, and what we read about in the New Testament, when they bring up rich people, who are they talking about? They're talking about us. Now, let's take that a step further. For those of you, maybe that doesn't define you, and maybe, and I don't want to dismiss if you're in financial struggle right now, like I don't want to diminish that at all. And so if you make $25,000 every year, uh, you would be considered uh, living in poverty in America. Here's the catch. Even at $25,000, which is poverty in America, you're still in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. And so even impoverished people living in America still fall into the rich category when we read what God has to say about rich, rich people. And friends, this is incredibly important that we understand this, and I'm going to take us somewhere with this. Now, I want to be careful. Again, I don't want to dismiss anybody's financial struggle in here, okay? I don't want to dismiss it. Maybe that's been a part of your story. Maybe you grew up in a, an impoverished context, an impoverished setting. And if that was you, I want to 
I want to be sensitive to that. Again, it may be a part of your story. But can I also highlight something for you? This is kind of interesting. If you grew up in poverty, and this is especially the case for boomers, um, maybe Gen Xers, but uh, more, most likely boomers who grew up in times of like the Great Depression and at least close to that era, uh, one of the things that you'll see is that there was uh, kind of a, a psychological thing that happened to them to where they felt, felt like they never had enough. Uh, I call this, they would call it probably something different in the psychological world, I call it a spirit of scarcity. In other words, they grew up in a time where it's like, we don't have enough of what we need, so when they get to a place in their life where they finally have enough of what they feel like they need, they want to hold on to it. And that leads to something called hoarding. I don't know if you know any hoarders uh, in your life. I do. And uh, I just watch them, and I watch them suffer holding on to things and not being able to let anything go, and it's a psychological condition. Again, I would call it a spirit of scarcity. And so for what it's worth, if you even, maybe it's not psychological for you, but maybe you know, you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know what, I probably have a tendency to do this. I probably have a tendency to hold on to things longer than I need to. And so the best thing I could encourage you to do is just give something away. Like this week, like make, make this an action step that you put into practice very quickly. Give it away. Give something away. I promise you there's somebody that can benefit from something that you don't even use any longer, like it's in your closet, in your garage, that would be blessed by it if you just gave it away. Can I encourage you to at least consider that? If this is something that you struggle with, this idea of hoarding, holding on to something that you really don't even use anymore, would you consider giving it away? Over the years, I've had some opportunities to be in areas around the world where there's extreme poverty. And it's forced me to see the world the way that God sees it every day. And it's really changed my paradigm, my perspective on greed, on wealth, on poverty. And this has been really good for me. And I think it would be really good for a lot of us. This is why we want so many people to try to get on a global trip here at Trace at some point, because it's forcing you to see the world the way that God sees it every day. And it will challenge your perspective and I believe our perspective, listen to me, I believe our perspective specifically on this subject needs to be challenged. Here's an example. Uh, my mom did a great job raising me and my two older brothers, uh, but we did struggle as, as a single parent. My mom struggled at times financially. Now, I'm not saying that we were poor, but when we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, we licked other people's fingers. And yes. I never know if that... That's going to work outside of Kentucky, but it did. So finger looking good. Okay, all right, moving on. Thank you. We weren't poor. We did struggle at times, but we weren't poor. But listen to me. This is huge. When I noticed what other people had that we didn't, I felt poor. Spirit of scarcity. When I noticed what other people had that I wished that I had, spirit of scarcity. Man, what, man if, well, if only we could have that. And so instead of looking, about, looking at what we did have, we have a tendency to look at what we don't have. And that's kind of led me down this kind of mental exercise this week. I would encourage you to do this. Like, I wonder, I really do wonder how differently we would live if we didn't get to see what others had. Have you ever thought about this? I wonder, I wonder how differently we would live and how much differently we would give if we actually didn't see what others had. Let me take that a step further. I've wondered for my own life, and again, I spent some time on this this week. Aaron, Aaron, how much more would you want to give to people who didn't have as much as you have if you didn't get to see what others had that you don't have? Did you stay with me there? 
Like if I didn't know what others had that I didn't have, but I saw what others didn't have that I do have, I wonder, I really do wonder how much more generous I would be with the things that I already have. Something that has challenged my perspective has been seeing extreme poverty firsthand. I've been to places like Garbage City in Cairo where I took this picture where this young man was rummaging through the trash just to survive daily. I've been to the mountains of Haiti where we backpacked cots deep into the mountains so that we could provide a place for the elderly to sleep off the ground, sometimes to to be able to pass in peace. I've been a part of relief efforts in Africa where we took shoes to a bunch of little kids. This is an uh, elder from the church I was a part of down in Arizona, and we went over there and took thousands of shoes, and we went to a garbage dump where these kids are running around without any shoes, and they're getting all kinds of viruses and diseases just because they don't have any shoes on their feet. And we gave them shoes only to hear that when they went home, their parents took the shoes off their feet and went and sold them. I've been in places like this that's called Heaven's Waiting Room, where there are mentally and physically handicapped children who have been discarded on the streets, literally discarded on the streets by their parents in Haiti, and they're brought to this place called Heaven's Waiting Room to die with dignity. I've been on the other end of receiving incredible honor, like with this lady right here. This is um, really close to the borderline of Djibouti and Ethiopia, and we went, went there, and Djibouti's a closed country, meaning you can't go there and talk about Jesus. You might go to jail or they'll kick you out of the country, but we went, and we were going there to try to use sports as an avenue to get the gospel to people who need it, and obviously everybody needs it. And at the end of our time, I don't know how this lady found out about who we were, uh, but she was a Christian, and she came in, and she brought this really nice, expensive coffee, these coffee beans, and my guess is it probably cost her a couple weeks, if not more, worth of wages and she cooked these coffee, coffee beans fresh right in our room. Like, we almost died from smoke inhalation. Um, but she made it. You can see these three cups. It's called a friendship ceremony. And she poured three of the strongest shots of espresso I've ever drank in my life. And it stuck with me. This was a, probably over a decade ago. And it stuck with me because she was showing honor to us by giving up a lot that she could use. Trace, listen to me. If we aren't careful, greed, which sometimes is just wanting a little bit more, even though we already have everything we need, that will cause us to become desensitized to the real struggles around us, to the real struggles around this world. So here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a parable where Jesus warns rich people. Who's rich? Yeah, we are. He warns rich people about greed. And now, based on what we've learned together, you're probably going to be able to hear this parable in a way that you've never heard it before. So let me set the context. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to thousands of people. And one guy uh, speaks up in the middle of this. And he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, I almost wonder how he says that word. Like, man. Who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard! When do we ever use this language? Can we stop here for a second? When do we ever use this language? Watch out! Like, when does anybody ever tell you, Hey, watch out! 
Like I imagined something flying at my face, like at a baseball game, or I remember being in Arizona once, and I was hiking with a friend and almost stepped on a rattlesnake. He's like, hey, watch out! Right? I think when things, like when something's getting ready to happen that could harm us, somebody's going to yell that out. And then the same thing, like the next phrase, be on your guard. Whenever you ever had somebody tell you, hey, be on your guard, for those of you in here that maybe are a part of our military family, right, when you know you're going into a hostile environment, hey, be on your guard. There's, there's people out there that want to harm you. Going into an unsafe area, I don't know where that could be for you. Like Pueblo, I don't know. I, get, I love you. If you're from Pueblo, I'm sorry. I repent. Lord, I repent. Love you. We love everybody from Pueblo. Be on your guard. Like when, when would anybody ever say those things to us? Don't, don't, miss, don't miss those words. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Can I pause there really quick? Guys, can I talk to you for a second? Fellas specifically. We like our stuff, don't we? Like our tools. We like our toys. We like our stuff. But I've been doing this long enough now, and I've counseled enough men who were once boys to know that a lot of young boys are trying to compete with their father's toys. They're trying to compete with their father's stuff. And guys, for what it's worth, I don't, like, I don't know where you, j- j- just spend some time on it, if nothing else. Am I allowing my stuff to be such a big part of my life that my family feels like they're trying to compete with my stuff? Don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool. Guys, we got to be careful. We like our stuff. I like my stuff too. I get it. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man, that's us, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, here's that word, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, is Jesus saying here we shouldn't save? Is Jesus saying here that we shouldn't have 401ks? I don't think so. I think that's wisdom. What he's saying here is that you need to be careful that what you're trying to hold on to doesn't begin to define you. And that does happen quickly, doesn't it? That what you're holding on to actually begins to define you. And the way that Jesus, I think, would explain it would be this. You're, beca- you're starting to be mastered by... Yeah, let me... That's a good statement. Thanks for not letting me miss that statement. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. This is what greed does to us. Now jump down. Jesus is saying that we're mastered by money when we live this way. When we live this way, when we walk through life, we're living as if... What we have can't make an eternal difference, and so we just hold it on for ourselves and let me consume all of it for myself. That's the assumption of greed, the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And so what we do is we live more for me. We save more for me. And then we'll give if there's anything left over. Like this is a really good formula to look at if you wonder, am I being mastered by money? Is greed potentially beginning to take root in my life? We live more for me. We save more for me. Yeah, if there's anything left over, I'll, I'll give, especially if it makes me feel better about myself. I'll give a little bit. You see, Jesus wants to flip that over on its head, as he does with most things in our life. It's the upside-down kingdom. Instead, he said, no, 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 begin by giving. 
give, save, and live. And the quick breakdown of how to live in wisdom when it comes to your financial wealth, give 10%, save 10%, and live on 80. And listen to me, as rich people, if we don't know how to live on 80%, then the little G God of greed is potentially beginning to own your heart. Now, this is the first time in this money series I've even brought up this idea of giving. And so if there's anybody in here that's like, ah, there it is, there's the catch, the preacher wants my money. All the church wants is my money and they hate sex. That's what the church is. Well, you know, it's like... <laughs> if, if that were the case, then I'm not sure why, what my motive would be to do this with my kids. Right? Every one of our kids, we've got four kids, we give them three jars. On the top of these jars, it says, give, save, and live. And they get an allowance when they do their chores, and we ask them to put aside 10% to give to God, 10% to save, and they can live on the other 80%. If I had a motive where it's like, man, I just want you to give money to the church, what would be the motive behind me doing this with my own kids? You think the church needs their money? Like if the church really needed their money, I would just go take it. I gave it to them to begin with, right? I would just go take it. But why do I do this? Listen, because I don't want them to be mastered by money. I don't want them to experience the grief that I have experienced at times and I've seen so many other people experience when they allow greed to take root in their heart. And oftentimes that's what we end up doing, right? I mean, we, we may go through life like this and it's like, God, don't tell me what to do with my money. Preacher, don't tell me what to do with my money. I don't care what the Bible says about what I'm supposed to be doing with my money. And then we get in some trouble with our money. God, can you help, can you help me out here? Like I can't make rent. God, can you, can you help me now? Can you help me? Because like, I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. I'm not going to be able to pay child support. I'm not going to be able to. And we wait until life actually deals us some circumstances that we can't handle on our, on our own. And all of a sudden, we want to be like this. So let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be wise if we want to invite God into our financial life when things aren't going well? Wouldn't wisdom tell us to do it now? Wouldn't wisdom tell us to do it now? Let me show you what Paul says when he's taking a, a moment to mentor Timothy in a letter that he writes to him on this. I think it's very telling. He says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, really quick, this, this verse gets misquoted all the time. Uh, maybe you've heard it said, money's the root of all evil. And when you hear that, they're referencing this particular Bible passage, but it's completely out of context. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Can we pause there for a second? Think about this. Some people eager for money, some people that are allowing greed to take root in their heart have wandered from the faith. Now, don't even over-spiritualize that. It's not even as if they're walking away from Jesus saying, oh, I don't believe anymore. Maybe wandered from the faith is somebody going from this to this, and then maybe a little bit later to this. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Has anybody ever experienced some grief and some stress around money? Yeah, me too. God, I don't need you to be a part of my finances until I need you to be a part of my finances. And when we live this way, when we're being mastered by money, let me take this a step further. 
It's as if we don't even believe God exists. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud. We might not believe it. But when we live this way, hey, I'm going to take it for me, and I'm going to take it for me. And if there's any left over, then I'll give. When we live this way, we're living as if God doesn't exist. Because this sounds like that all of this stuff that God has given me is just temporary. So I might as well just enjoy it for myself. Instead of investing it in a way in the kingdom of God, investing it and using it and living with it in a way. Again, it's not even just about the giving portion. It's how you're using all of it. Instead of investing it in a way that will far outlive your life. Because guess what? I'm going to fill you in on a secret. You can't take anything with you. Like you're never going to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It won't happen. You can't take any of it with you. All the stuff that you have now is either going to go back in a box or somebody else. Like when we die, I mean, I guess we're going in a box too, right? We go in a box and all of our stuff is going to end up in a box. You can't take it with you, but there's a way that you can use it now that can make an eternal difference when we have the right posture. Let me show you something else that Jesus says as a warning. In Matthew chapter 13, he's giving us another parable. It's the parable where uh, the seed is scattered on all types of different soils. And when he's explaining what these soils mean, we get to verse 22, he says this, the seed falling among, among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, don't worry and wealth go together a lot, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, when greed begins to start to take root in our hearts, the truth of God begins to be weeded out. But let me remind you one more time, God's word will always lead you to wisdom when it comes to your wealth. And if there's an area of our life that we desperately need the wisdom of God, it is in this area. Why? Because the richer we are, the more difficult it is to rely on God. The richer we are, the greater the temptation to believe, we made it on our own, man. I look at all this stuff that I did. Look at, look at how hard I worked to obtain all this. It went through God's hands first. The richer we are, the greater the temptation to forget that God is good, the richer that we are, the greater the temptation to be distracted, the richer we are, the more we have a tendency to say, it's mine, so don't tell me what to do with my money. Let me say it one more time just to be clear. Greed has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has everything, it has everything to do with what you do with what you have. You can be incredibly, incredibly wealthy, incredibly rich, even though we already know we're in the top 1%. Like, you can be incredibly wealthy and incredibly rich and still not have greed take root in your heart. It's all about what you do with what you have. So let me close this way. You remember when I shared that verse with you when I said Jesus put the two things side by side. He never does this any other time in Scripture. He says, you're going to have to choose on this one. You're going to have to choose on this one. You can't sit in the middle. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Right after that, Right after that, immediately after that, same breath, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jump down to verse 31. So do not worry. Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? 
What does that look like for Trace Church? But seek first his kingdom. Just a heads up, next week, my sermon title will be First Things First. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Last week, we ended with our takeaway statement. God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? I'm not sure you're going to like today's takeaway statement. It's actually a prayer. Ready? God, bless me with as much money as I can be faithful with. And if there's something inside of you that feels like if I actually sincerely say that prayer right now, God bless me with as much money as I can be faithful with. If there's something inside of you that makes you feel like God would need to take some away, then potentially greed has begun to take root in your heart. Let me say it differently. If any of us ever want more than this, if any of us ever want more than what we know we can be faithful with, and my hope and my prayer is that when you pray this prayer, God looks down and he sees you in a posture like this and he says, I can give that person more. And maybe it's financial wealth. Maybe it's more influence. Maybe, maybe it's a different occupation. I don't know how he always answers this prayer. But if I, man, my hope is that he would look down and he would see a, <clears throat> a person and a people in a church that are living this way so that he feels like there's more that he can give because we're being faithful. But if any of us ever, now or in the future, if we ever feel like we would want more money than this, more money than what we know we can be faithful with, then the little g God of greed has taken root of your heart. But it doesn't have to. Give, save, and live. That's where we start. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, this is a tough one for all of us. And there's a reason why you spoke on this subject more than any other subject. There's a reason why we struggle with listening to people like me on this subject. Uh, but Father, ultimately, I pray that we heard from your word today. We heard clearly from your heart and your word and Jesus himself. And Lord, that we would want to be able to pray this prayer sincerely without fear that you would need to take something away. But if that's true, like if that's our, if that's our normal, if that's our current reality, then God, I pray that you would begin to change our hearts. And that as we continue to pray this prayer in the future, that you see you see hearts and you see a person and you see people and you see a church that you know that you can pour more blessing out on because of our willingness to be faithful with what we have. And so God, I don't know what this looks like for each person in here. And if there's anything that I've said that got somebody sideways because I didn't say it as good as I could have, Father, I just pray that you remind them that this is a very important issue for you and that ultimately you're a jealous God and you don't want anything else to own our hearts. And this is that litmus test. This is that area that you look at more than any other area to know whether or not you have our hearts. And so I don't know what each person's action step in here is, but God, would you make it clear? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.